Welcome to the Known Experience. So glad you're joining us for this episode. Before we jump into it, I want to let you know about something we just confirmed today. We have our next Known Experience adventure coming up. That's going to be October 5th through 8th in Winter Park, Colorado. We have got a huge log cabin, log castle that uh, looks over the mountains. Uh, we're going to be doing some great hiking, fishing, maybe some downhill mountain biking. And uh, most of all, we'll be spending time together around the fire pit, around great food, uh, just getting to know each other, sharing about our own lives, learning from each other. Uh, that's what the known experience is all about. So if you're interested, there'll be a link in the show notes. You can click right here to find out more, or you can go to our website, knownexperience.com. In the meantime, settle in for this episode. It's a good one. Uh, I joined Sean in Durham, North Carolina in his new restaurant to hear all about the journey of the last three years that's gotten him there. All the challenges, the fears, the failures, all the things that we go through whenever we're pursuing a worthwhile endeavor. So I know you'll be encouraged by it just like I was. Thanks for joining us again. Welcome to the Known Experience Podcast. We are here live and on location together in the same space. Coming to you from Durham, North Carolina. Sean, tell us where we're at today. Yeah, we are. We are in uh, my new restaurant uh, and bakery. It's called Google Huff in Durham, North Carolina and Chapel Hill. Google Huff. How do you spell that? G-U-G-L-H-U-P-F. Are you sure? <laughs> I am positive. I was just trying to add a, a little dramatic pause to that. That was fantastic dramatic pause. Um, and so we're going to um, talk today about the story of how we ended up sitting in Sean's restaurant in Durham, North Carolina. And uh, that was it, it's a restaurant that previously existed, but Sean's the new owner of it. We'll get more to those details later. But before we get started, cheers. We've not been able to cheers each other at a uh, during a podcast before. Before we get into that story, I want to talk about why I wanted to do this podcast here with the two of us sharing your story. And it's because, you know, week after week, you and I get to hear stories of uh, people who have overcome adversity, people who have faced failure and persevered. And, you know, when you invited me out here to celebrate this new venture, um, you said, hey, people don't often celebrate enough their wins with the people that help them get there, their friends. And I realized, I thought back over the story, you have a story every bit as legitimate and compelling as all the people that we bring on this podcast. And I want to share that story, right? Yeah. And I know at first you were kind of like, John, are you sure? Are you sure anybody cares about my story? But you know, as you thought about it, you recognize that too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I called it a filler episode. I'm like, I guess it could be a filler episode, no. <laughs> right? Which is kind of, you know, it's lame, right? That's negative self-talk and it kind of minimizes your journey, which isn't cool. Right. And I think, um, yeah, it grew on me. I was like, you know, this is, if I'm inviting friends and family to fly in, and it obviously means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and what led up to it. And so, yeah, it is, it is worth talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you hear a bunch of uh, plates and uh, knives and forks and stuff in the background, it's because we wanted to record it right here where it's all happening. So uh, bear with us on that. So um, let's, let's go back to the start. As my friend, our mutual friend, Chris Martin likes to say, 
Um, and uh, it started walking into a, a glass gallery in West Palm Beach, Florida. And it was Sean's brother. If you don't know what a glass gallery is, think of an art gallery full of glass sculpture. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably can't afford the glass sculpture that was in this gallery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the cheapest piece was like $1,500. And I was afraid to walk around anything. But Sean had this little coffee shop in the back that was literally like a kiosk. Uh, and, but that was your first spot, right? Uh, well, we, we, we were in just outside of DC for two years and then we moved down to, to West Palm when his mother-in-law, then mother-in-law were ch- retired and, um, I moved with them cause I didn't have a choice, right? I couldn't, I could I did not have the money to relocate in DC. And so we ended up down there. It was a beautiful space. Um, arguably I thought one of the best spaces in downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was somewhat of an odd combo right to have a coffee shop if it was a local art gallery it would make sense but like john said pieces were three to there's one piece in the middle that was one hundred fifty thousand dollars. yeah so uh it didn't really fit the vibe but it was all i could do um but it the the community there really embraced it as much as you could um and that's where i sat for two years uh and didn't you live like right upstairs there or yeah. right nearby in the yeah there was an old office upstairs that had a bathroom and a sh- you know had a shower and again <laughs> we couldn't afford um really much of anything so my brother said hey you can live upstairs in the gallery and we had our first baby who was six months old and when we started it and she slept in the crib in the closet yeah um and it was yeah it was like 500 square feet um we actually loved living there, um, right, right on Clematis. Uh, and it was a, it was a great year. Um, but then I heard that a local juggernaut of a restaurateur was opening a coffee shop four doors down after a year or two. And that's when, uh, panic truly set in. And up to that point, would you say that you were like, you moderately successful, you were paying the bills, you were living upstairs, you were, were you still struggling though like the oh, shop I, I'll, I'll tell everyone this we lived on uh twenty eight thousand dollars a year wow that's how much i was making for the first four years of doing coffee in south florida in south florida and i was you know i was a 31 year old man right um and you know with a young family and but there was you know my without the support of my brother right i couldn't have done it my my father-in-law initially uh loaned me the money twenty thousand dollars to to start um because i didn't have it that was twenty thousand dollars was my could have been two million dollars at the time um and then i maxed out my credit cards built all the stuff on my own and then all your friends would come in and ask for free coffee yeah 100 <laughs> percent. Uh, that's that is true you know and uh but yeah, the first four years, it was very rewarding. You know, the, the whole people side of it, um, the connection was awesome, right? It was a really slow grow and my why became cemented, but I just couldn't figure out uh, how to turn this into something that could sustain a family. Uh, it seemed like that was not, I was just a, living a slow death, right? This was the dream, but. I can't raise a family making $30,000 a year, especially in South Florida. Um, 
And so it, it always felt like the impending end was literally just a decisional way because things weren't really growing. Right. Mm-hmm. It, I, it, I was capped. So, so you're, you're treading water in South Florida and the, the guy that like runs the coolest music venues, restaurants, bars, he is the restaurateur of that street, which is the street in West Palm beach, Florida. You find out he's going to open a coffee shop. That's like less than a hundred yards away. Yeah. And, uh, a good friend of mine at the time, Ben Hood, went to one of his bars and the, the bartender told him. And so Ben came back and told me. And so that that day, I texted one of his managers that I knew, kind of his number, and they said no, because everyone wants his number. You know, he owns a lot of businesses. But they said, I'll give you his email. So I sent him an email that night not knowing what the guy literally gets 300 emails a day and he doesn't answer them for a long time <laughs> unless you're someone in his life, right. Or an important business partner. Uh, but I sent him an email just saying, Hey, uh, really respect what you do. Love your spots. I'm right up the street. Uh, I heard you're thinking about opening, opening up a coffee concept. Um, I want to talk to you about it. Maybe there's a partnership opportunity. In it, uh, you know, I'm looking to move, quote unquote. I wasn't right. Mm-hmm. But I was just saying, hey, I'm looking to move. So, you know, maybe a two business guy that's gonna you know, figure some, something out. And um, literally that night, he emailed me back, which is again shocking because I just know now know the volume that he gets every day. And uh, we met a couple of days later, and he, <laughs> I'm a stickler for people being on time. And he uh, was 15 minutes late and I texted him, which is in retrospect, it's just, I said, Hey man, uh, I have stuff to do. So if you're not here in a couple minutes, you know, I'm out of here. And he texted back, I'm driving. I'll be, I'll be right there. I'm sorry. I'm late. And he shows up and we talk for an hour and I talk at him for an hour. He doesn't really see it. He has shades on. And at the time I didn't realize he wakes up at 2 PM every day. He stays up all night. So he was late because he literally just rolled out of bed and he kind of looked like it. So I'm talking at him and then uh, growing more frustrated that he's not saying anything. And at the end, out of frustration, I said, listen, nobody wants a coffee war. (laughs) I literally said that nobody wants a coffee war and I have pretty loyal customers. So we should definitely work something out. And then I left and I got home and I told my wife, what did I? Did, did he not laugh in your face? No. Wow. Shook hands and that was it. And, you know, went home and I, I thought I totally blew, blew that up. Well, um, I'm going to let that be a little cliffhanger for a minute because I don't even know how we responded to that. But I want to go back to earlier you said I found my why. And I've heard you say that quite a few times. And I've never really asked you this to articulate that to me. Because, you know, 15 years ago, finding your why was not a popular thing to do. No, no. Like nobody really even heard about, of Simon right? Sinek or any of that. What, what did you define as your why? Because you said that that has not changed till today. My why, you know, in, in D.C., it, it, there was, and I'll say this, I only opened a coffee shop because I was a musician before, and I didn't want to hate doing what I did it every day, all day. And so when I stopped playing music, I was like, well, the only thing that I think I'd really love is to have a coffee shop. I didn't really, I didn't have a why when I jumped into it. 
but in in dc we were surrounded by corporate attorneys venture capitalists uh ibm homeland security project really high level affluent professionals um super intelligent and i quickly out of insecurity uh and i may have mentioned this before i, I never asked people what they did in my spot because i didn't want to feel less than because i knew all every person that came in was quote unquote better than i or more successful so i would just say bill and bill can be the ceo of a venture capital firm but um but very quickly by doing that i could see these men and women uh you know i would continue whatever they brought up the day before i would remember the story about their kids or a trip and continue their story and they they it it was so apparent that these men and women in high stress environments, when someone that they saw every day just said, Bill, there was no Sarah, whatever, there was, there was no agenda. I was just asking them how they're doing, um, not how they're performing or what was on the agenda, or how they're going to grow or what lawsuit. I never touched on that. And it was pretty profound to see these people that you think have it all together and they don't need these moments really needed the moments. And so my why quickly became in, came into focus, right? Like make people feel known, you know, the rich, the powerful, the poor, all of us really want our story to be heard. We, and through our story to feel known and loved in spaces that are welcoming. And that's, that's what, I love about the food and beverage space, the coffee space, mm -hmm. is that making people people feel known in the five minutes they're there over coffee. It doesn't have to be profound. It doesn't have to be a therapy session. Um, but the simple, authentic care that can be shown in service can change someone's life. Yeah. I mean, I've really picked up on that from you a lot. And one thing I've started trying to do is when um, someone's helping me, and they have a name tag on mm. to call them by their name. Yeah, I love that. And that really shocks people sometimes. So my parents live in this little area outside of a small town, but there happens to be a grocery store there and they force you to let them bring your groceries to your car. Yeah, yeah. So this guy was uh, bringing the groceries out to the car and I, um, I guess he had seen the receipt or something like that because my name's on the receipt, right? Yeah. And uh, as he was loading them in, I was like, hey, David, thank you very much. I hope you have a good day. And he looked at me and he goes, thanks, John. Yeah. And it was so weird. Yeah, it was yeah. like we were suddenly like two humans instead of the dude putting the groceries in my car. And, uh, but I'll say, I see you practice that. I saw you practice that earlier today, right? You had told me about a guy here that kind of hangs out in the parking lot that's uh, struggling. And, uh, and I saw you talking to a guy in the parking lot and I was like, ah, I bet that's the guy. And I walked up and I was like, you know, is your name Leroy? He was like, yeah. And like, I knew cause you told me his name, but you weren't running him off. You were having a conversation with him that probably somewhat involved like, Hey, you probably need to move over to this side of the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. But Leroy is known by you. He's not just run off and just uh, discounted and seen as a, as a nuisance. He yeah. knows that you care about him, even if you're asking him to move, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's challenging, right? I think that's a, 
for the, for the people that are, aren't giving you money, right? That's the real challenge and, and test of your why, right? Is it, uh, is your why authentic in uh, meeting all people or is it only for those that give you a pay their bill, right? Yeah. And are cleaned up. Um, Leroy's not going to go write a bad Yelp review about your restaurant. <laughs> no, right. He, he really has nothing to offer to me. And, and I, I don't say that to, I have my bad days, right? But I think it, it, I talked to John about it. it's a very conscious decision mm-hmm. to try and treat people like Leroy the same as a venture capital CEO. Yep. I mean, that's what they say is, is your character is displayed by how you treat people that have nothing to offer you, right? Right. Very true. All right. Well, let's get back to that uh, cliffhanger of a conversation where Sean, with his little uh, $25,000 coffee shop in the back of a glass gallery, tells the restaurant mogul, let's not start a coffee war. I've got six customers a day and they're very loyal. It's just crazy. So, so what happened next? You know, uh, because I thought I blew it, I waited a day, right? It's like the whole dating thing. I was like, I'm not going to email them right away. But I, I am, I'm going to follow up. Um, and I followed up. He responded. It was great talking to you. I'd like to meet again. And I was like, oh, wow. I didn't blow it. Um, but he still wasn't offering me much. But yeah, four meetings later, we were, we were partners. Um, originally, he wanted to open a French variety store called the Tabac. That's what subculture was supposed to be. And uh and I told him, I was like, no, man, like, let's do a, co- a coffee shop, like roast our own coffee. Cause he wanted to roast coffee in a, the French variety store. It was gonna be really odd, which if you know, Rodney, that's, it, that's on. Very that's eclectic, on right? Yeah. Um, so th- that wasn't his original intention. I was just going to be a manager of a variety store for him. Cause at the time I didn't even care if I had an equity stake. I just needed a job. Yeah. You know, I was like, I just need to provide for my family. And he would have paid you more than $25,000. Yeah. No, I, I was like, no matter what, I'll get paid more. Um, but yeah, so we, we jumped on that and, um, you know, he was, it, it was, it was pretty neat to see how, uh, receptive he was to my ideas. And, you know, I, I had to present three equity, you know, um, partnership plans. He didn't, you know, I, I wrote him out and I, again, I didn't know what I was doing. And in retrospect, he said, the deal that I struck with you, I have not had structured, structured with that with anyone else in my entire career. <laughs> because you asked for it. Because I asked him for it. And I, and I think that's, that's what I love about Rodney is he doesn't, um, he never made me feel stupid. I'm sure there's moments in our nego- negotiation and partnership where I was very green and he never, he never uh, pointed that out. Um, I think going back to what we're saying about how you treat people that have nothing to offer you. Listen, he could have hired a pro to run that space. He could have put you out of business in the first six months. Um, he didn't have any, there was nothing that benefited him by betting on you. No, he, he knew me not at all. We were complete yeah. strangers. Yeah, there was no connection. And it's not like you had this huge following that was going to help make his restaurant succeed. No. Um, but it was one of those things that it was like faking the competency, right? Fake it till you make it. Yeah. I think for, and my dad always instilled that in me, like say yes and then learn how to do it after you say yes, if you need to. Yeah. And uh, so a lot of that was, you know, I, I wanted to show my worth before we were even open. 
And, and I think that's, that's where Rodney and I really worked well together because he knew that he saw a really hungry guy yep. that had ideas and, um, and would deliver when I said I would. And yep. so, so you, so you open subculture yeah. and, uh, I'll fast forward a little bit. Subculture becomes the place in West Palm beach, Florida. And I don't mean that just in like a cool trendy sort of way. I mean, it is the place people liked to be. It's a place where people felt was like their space and people from a very wide variety of uh, economic demographics, ethnic demographics, yeah, yeah. Um, students, millionaires, Palm Beachers. Um, and it became so much the center of West Palm Beach culture that when then presidential candidate Biden came through West Palm Beach. Where did he choose to do his photo op? Yeah, he, yeah, he rolled up. Yeah, it was, it was right, right in our shop. Whatever you think politically, when someone running for president chooses your spot to do their photo op, it probably means that spot has the most influence in the city. Yeah, that's some weight. Yeah. So, but you also did some really cool things. Tell us about tacos and hip hop. Yeah, you know, I, I think one, one of the things I, I, never wanted to have was a business that was just what you advertise right i, I think what makes really special um organizations and businesses and food and beverage operations is when they when they're creative and they do things that have nothing to do with coffee when and they so, surprise you yeah yeah and they, and they just use their space to the fullest right yep and they cooperate with and collaborate with local people that have ideas. And so I was sitting out back with Hollow Blue with a buddy of mine, Philip. And uh, this local DJ came up to me and uh, he's like, Hey, Sean, I have an idea for you for the alley. So I, there was this old alley next to Subculture that was literally just a trashed alley. And I, I went to the city and I found out it, it was a city owned parcel of land. It wasn't an alley. If it, if it was an alley, you couldn't put any, you couldn't activate it. That if it was, if they had it on record as an alley, that's for trash service emergency, but they didn't, it was a city owned parcel of land, which is very city attorney. Couldn't figure out why, but I lucked out. So we put it, it would turn in the most photographed mural in West Palm beach on the yep. wall. We hung lights and put chairs in it. In a Insert photo of Einstein rainbow mural here in the YouTube version of this. There we go. But it was, it was amazing. Um, and people would come and and they would use it but so this dj is like what i saw this video of this thing in germany uh called burgers and hip-hop and they just once a month they break out the grills and they have a dj and it's this huge party like so i think we should do something like that and my buddy he wants to start a taco cart i mean and ricky had nothing like had never done it um so like tacos and hip hop, but he's a graphic, graphic uh, advertiser. So we could probably brand really well. So do you want to meet with us? And I was like, yeah, man, like, let's do it. Like I've, I've, because I wanted to have a, a block party. I just didn't have a brand for it. And so we sat down and uh, Ricky literally bought, I think a couple grills from like target. I mean, it was, it was a jankiest setup the first night. Um, and holy crap. We put out the word on Facebook at the time. We didn't pay for anything else. No one knew what it was, right? It was, but it was just tacos and hip hop. And we had 
400 people show up the first night and we had just like a little dj stand that i built i nailed together and it went off it was just so fun and that turned into three years of every month we had it there a lot of i mean we had to shut the street down a few times 12 it um, usually over a thousand people showed up and the alley was like sardines just sweaty bodies and it wasn't special but and every time that we did it i would stop it halfway through and uh again going back to my why right it was a cool spot like we had people from miami come up it was crazy it it, it was in all the news outlets were talking about it this crew from new york city wanted us to bring it to brooklyn like it was it just turned into this thing but every time we gave away 10 percent of what i of what we made that night to a local charity that was the deal and so i would stand up and i'm just telling you this because i think it's important for you to really insert your why into all the things you do and explain it to people too often like when you're the creative or the visionary you you know why but a lot of other people don't know you don't communicate it well right or you do it in the back end but I would stand up, up on his where he had his decks and I grab the mic and he, he always hated it as a DJ because I would, I would squash the like they're, they're building an energy. Right. And I would and I'm like, man, I have to. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> John will say Pastor John, but I had to tell people like, hey, anyone can party. Right. But if you don't like if the person next to you, um, if you don't care for them, if you don't care for your neighbor then these gatherings don't mean anything right so like this party is more than just a party and the proceeds are going towards this local charity um and uh but it was cool because you'd see a lot of people even in that moment they're sweaty and maybe they drank too much beer they're like oh now it's even better right right this like they're doing something with this and like there was not one fight so when you when you have an urban party with over a thousand people and there's dancing and there's alcohol involved fights happen maybe numerous times yeah we didn't have one in three years wow it's pretty spectacular so. that's awesome i didn't get to experience it so i hope that you start something like that here <laughs> yeah yeah it's german so it's going to be beer and and polka maybe no what do you no, think? I, mean, no? I think that's a that's the beauty of this of this and why I, I kind of fell in love with this place is i it's german inspired right the menu but there's so much more and i think okay maybe it's bratwurst and polka but it's got to be polka everybody loves polka heck no (laughs) well let's go so um subculture is booming uh you have all this incredible stuff happening uh president biden comes through uh and you decide at the pinnacle of all of this that I think I want to do something different. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, kind of leading up to that too, an important piece was I, I had, I had um, started a merchants group um, in the city. And, and this was part of the reason why I ended up leaving. There was, you know, I love, I love to empower other business owners to kind of step outside of their walls and kind of link arms, right. It, to create a, a culture, a cooperative culture in a city. And, it's rarely done, right? There's the successful guys and they just kind of kill it. And, but then there's a lot of businesses that are struggling. And um, so I wanted to start a kind of an organization where I'd be the liaison between about 40 of the businesses downtown and city leadership, mayor. So I, I asked if every other month we could have a two hour meeting to 
kind of create a cohesive vision for the city where we were part of it instead of city hall handing down like what their vision was and then we react to it and then it turns into a new story um and so like th that was a really fulfilling part of it right I, I wanted to use subcultures gravitas in the city to to elevate everyone right and and uh and it was it was a really amazing time um a lot of cooperation happened with the city I found my play, myself in a place where I'm juggling a lot of balls and I'm trying to meet everyone's expectation from the normal Joe to the guys own Roxy's and Rocco's Tacos and my business partner and getting agendas done. And, uh, and my business, my part, business partner wanted to open many more locations in the next five years. And I quickly saw like when you're capable um, and something's magical, there's just like our, our ecosystem, right? There's, there's a balance mm -hmm. that you have to achieve. It's not about no system can handle lopsided growth or mm -hmm. can sustain endless energy, right? There's usually a sweet spot. And I, I found myself getting really frustrated in year seven with the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. New leadership was coming into the city. My partner wanted to grow and I, I thought it would gut subculture of what made us special um and i was kind of standing in his way and he was respecting that but i, I hated standing in his way if he wanted to yeah. grow um city hall because i'm a i push back right they a lot of cities want you to be involved but they they quickly or in a couple of years they start to not like how involved you are because you make things difficult for them right so i was making life difficult for city hall yeah. The media was on my side, um, but you're... We won't get into it, but you you entertained a run at mayor at one yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it even got to that level, right? And, it, and it's like the... I, I wasn't going to run for mayor because I wanted to. It's just like everyone's like, oh, you need to do this. So that's... To go from living in a one-bedroom apartment above a class shop making $30,000 a year to by year four you like a lot of people are looking to you to change a city. I mean, that's what it felt like for me. Mm. Like it wasn't just about my business. It was, you're the guy to change our city, yeah. but you also need to meet with me for coffee and be accessible like you are. And it, it, it felt like I was in an impossible place mm. to sustain. Um, and my wife, um, I came home one day and I'd been kicking around and I couldn't believe that I was thinking about leaving. I didn't even have a plan. Um, but I've been talking about it a while because I just didn't know what to do. And I didn't, I didn't want to turn into a bitter business owner and then be a shadow of who I was. I thought it'd be best to leave when things are good than to turn into a crusty old guy that used to be somebody that, you know, tried and now just didn't care. Um, I didn't want to be that guy, but she said, I can't, I can't live with this guy right so you got to make a decision and um the decision was made wow it's uh it's a story that we hear over and over again right like that that uh, we always just assume success is more like more money more influence more power better title moving up the organization i would i say we let me just say most men, I think, probably feel that way. There's a lot that don't. Maybe artists, maybe people are more content 
Yeah. But we don't ever seem to gauge success by how we feel. So like you wouldn't gauge the success of, of subculture by when I walk in here at three o'clock on a Friday, how do I want to feel? Because if that was your measure of success, you'd start pushing back on a lot of this stuff, right? Sure. You'd be yeah. like, no, I don't want two other locations. No, I don't want to expand this and that. Like that'll mess with the ecosystem, right? That's happening here. So that's interesting thing to ponder. Um, and I guess you really kind of have to be an entrepreneur in order to control that decision, yeah. right? And you did. So you said, uh, when, when she said that, how did you, how did you feel when she said, I don't, I can't live with this guy? I, I, you know, again, the responsibility, uh, because it was only seven years after I felt like I had nothing, it felt irresponsible to leave a perfectly good life, right? Mm. A, like a growing business respect, like there was nothing bad. It was only my internal, the internal pressure and frustration and made, you know, I couldn't figure out this was middle life right? This is just what it is. Like pressure grows and deal with it and one foot in front of the other. But I've always been a guy. I hate, I hate accepting those things in life, right? Like, Oh, this is the only way that it's done. Right. You just have to reach a point of, of heartburn and stress and yeah. frustration. I don't believe it, but I also think, um, a lot of people don't have guts to pivot when life is life is quote unquote good because you do have kids to provide for. You do have a business that you may not be able to rebuild somewhere else. There's a huge cost to pivoting. Um, especially when you're like me, you don't want to work for someone else. Right. I had no desire. I didn't want a regular job. I still loved being the master of my universe. Um, but you know, we, we talked about with Rob Murray, most of us, when we talk about that pivot, we're really just talking about we have to lower our standard of of living yeah we're, we're, we're most of us are talking about just being willing to be content with less luxury yeah less vacations less whatever maybe i drive the same car for five more years than i would if i made x amount of dollars and but when people may i just haven't heard anybody make that shift in order to be more present for their family and friends that regretted it down the road. There's not a lot of data out there because there's not a lot of people that take that risk. But I think it's important for people like you to share your story so that others know it can work and it's not easy, which we're about to hear. Yeah. But it can work, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's true. But going back to that moment, I, I felt a freedom that she told me. I didn't, I almost didn't have to make the decision because I was waffling. She made the decision for me. You had an out. I had an out and she let me, you know, and she's a, she's always been an adventurous, right? Not many wives, a lot of wives I know would have been like, dude, get back, get happy again. You can do that, but let's not change our whole life. Let's not. I mean, I'm going to go to yoga less. Right, right, right. (laughs) Serious. When did you tell Rodney about this? December 31st of 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So you have no idea what lies ahead. Not a clue. And yeah. you are ejecting from great success four months before COVID hits. Yeah. And what do you do? Yeah. So we, we, we sign, we, you know, I, I tell him his response was great. You know, I, I thought it was going to be sticky and messy, but 
I think that's something else I want to share is when you, I highly encourage you if you're in a partnership to communicate one, be honest and forecast if things are going south and take one on the teeth, right? Like leave early before you hate each other because you never, relationships, you never know. Rodney and I still text. <laughs> we might go on business again with each other at some point. I really care about him as a human. And so I'm really proud of the way both of us handled that, right? He could have handled it differently. I could have, but we both chose not yeah. to. And I love that. And it often doesn't go that well because your departure means it's going to be a lot more difficult right. for your partner. Right. Things were on autopilot. He had you running everything. It was doing great. Yeah, he, he's, he's not the operating partner. So it was going to be pretty disruptive to the brand. And he knew I was I was the face of the brand. He wasn't. So when the face of the brand leaves in a local market, that's bad. <laughs> um, but, but he didn't. You know, he actually said that he was kind of envious hmm. of making that decision. Um, but, yeah, we, we put a – we had a contract on our house – um someone bought our house no joke march 13th a day before the world shut down and that was a friday because i was on an airplane friday the 13th of march because my event in san diego was canceled because of covid and i flew back to dallas that day yeah so we we sold our house on that day uh the world shut down and um I was completely undisturbed by that, oddly enough. You know, I, I really wanted to spend time with my kids and I was excited about having this window to do it. And then when COVID hit, I actually wasn't afraid of COVID. I was like, this is perfect. Everyone's staying home. Yeah. So, and so we just dug into family time, man. Like, and we also, I mean, to be fair, we all thought this is going to blow over in a few weeks. Oh, yeah. I thought it was going to be two or three weeks. So I, I was just pumped about that. that. Right? I, like, I don't have to start the transition right away. Right? No yeah. one's doing anything. Um, we're, we're a healthy family. A little bit of fear, right? But, um, but then we, we actually moved up to Winston-Salem uh, May 20th, 2020. And with no connections there you know I, we just wanted to move to north carolina and it was kind of like finger on the map deal which is foolish right it's uh, i told john before i don't know if i had copious amounts of self-confidence <laughs> at the time um you know i had a spot picked out and then we get there uh had met with the owner many times before but then covid hit i didn't sign the lease had a meeting two weeks after we landed in Winston-Salem and I wanted a COVID provision in my lease saying that I don't pay taxes and insurance if, the, if there was a shutdown. And he said no. So I had no space two weeks after I moved my whole family to Winston-Salem and had to start from the ground zero. Wow. How did you feel then? That a little bit of panic set in, but I had a contracting gig for a company in DC and I was like, well, I'll be able to do a little bit of that. I don't have to blow through the money that we saved and I got from leaving, you know, my equity stake. Um, and they called me that same week. That project was on hold for a year. So I wouldn't be consulting on that project. So both things I planned on were gone. And I was in my third week in Winston-Salem. And that's... If you're keeping score at home, Shad went from a 500-square-foot apartment above his shop to a huge, booming, successful shop 
with a liaison relationship with the city government in multiple locations and all of that. Walked away from that by choice. Moved three states away, four states away. And then COVID hits and he has no source of income. Is that accurate? That's 100% accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and you know, I know how hard it is to save money, right? But instantly I went back eight years and I'm like, oh no, I feel exactly like I did then, right? I have all this money, but I can't spend it because I know if I spend it, I can't restart another business. Mm-hmm. So it felt like that chunk of money I did have, I had a lot, but I'm like, if I burn through this, we're, we're, we're sunk. You know, I knew how much business costs, right? I was way more knowledgeable and how, how much everything was. And so, um, there was a little bit of panic, right? But we, we, we are pros at downsizing our life, right? That's the thing. We never increased our lifestyle. And my wife has just always been awesome with that. So we hunkered down back into the days of when we were making no money. Um, and I just started looking, right? What else? And, and it forced me into this space of like, who am I if I'm not Sean the coffee guy, right? Because that had become so solid right the coffee guy community leader um community leader didn't make me money but coffee did but i was like what else can you do right you have skill sets this isn't all you can do right no one's going to be building out any sort of food and beverage for the next year right at that by that time end of may we all knew this is going to be a little longer than we thought so no one was signing leases so i was like okay i'm not opening a shop for at least a year i drove by a gas station that looked really cool by wake forest and i emailed those owners because so i was like i'll do a pop-up right they, they can do drive through or pick up there they emailed me back so we, we set up some coffee this is an old gas station that had been renovated was now being used for like yeah business. it was really cool yeah. so pop you know reached out to those guys by the fall started doing a little space share with a year contract like at least i can start my brand and get the word out and known coffee was born the namesake of this podcast yeah and then um so in the midst of that people are traveling so trying to figure out what else to do to make money you know i looked into camper vans and so i uh drove again my wife just let me do this i was like hey outdoorsy it's killing it right now i'm gonna get some camper vans we can rent them out right uh so that's what I did. So you started a little pop-up coffee shop. And when we talk about pivoting, we talk about, I mean, COVID is where we really saw who knew how to pivot, who thought creatively in business and was willing to take chances. You created a pop-up coffee shop. You created a camper van business. You bought a couple Airbnbs and you diversified and kind of went with the market. Like, what are people doing right now? They're not, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, it, and it was really just... It was really a 12 month plan, right? Like those solutions weren't long-term or maybe they were, I didn't really know, but, but I knew again, the economics of things translated, right? I was like, Oh, I don't need to be in the camper van business to like make money at this. Right. Mm-hmm. I just have to research values and revenue and then resale values. And, yeah. um, and so that's what I feel like I'm good at. Right. And a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs are, if you, you can understand, you can create businesses. Um, 
And I, I think seasoned entrepreneurs can recognize that this is just a, a season. This is just, I'm going to create some things that, that create cash flow, give me some things that I could write off. And this isn't going to be forever, but this is going to keep me afloat for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, you know, I ended up buying over the two years, you know, bought and sold some vans and decided that wasn't smart, especially when COVID started, ta- you know, slowing down. I was like, people are going to stop renting these vans at the rate they are. So I stopped doing that, bought more homes. So I bought about four different homes, which was great. Um, and I was like, well, maybe I'll just be an Airbnb guy, right? Rental, you know, a real estate guy. And very quickly, I was like, man, this is not, right? This is not fulfilling. This isn't, it could, it'd be fine for our family, but this isn't what I want to do. Um, but again, you know, to maintain a creative energy is super difficult when you don't know what to do and there's a pressure to provide right you you as as a man head of a household you you really have this voice that says dude it's a luxury to have your why coddled while you work right for the millennia men go to their work and it has no why they're just providing for their families why do you think you're different like get over yourself um but it so about a year after i moved in the whole first year, there was this whole deconstruction of ego, right? Like mm-hmm. when I left, when you stop getting texts, you realize how valued or not valued you are. Yep. Uh, you find out real quick who your friends are. Um, and, uh, and you go to some pretty dark places, right? I, I would sit there when my family left for work and um, just wonder if my best you know, years were behind me. Yeah. And if I had anything that was going to match that ahead, and that was a terrifying thought to think I willingly left something because I was a little frustrated and I'll never have that again. Yeah. Uh, it's terrifying moments. I mean, we'll, we'll save my story for another day, but I know that feeling from being someone who's the center of community that, you know, often if you're out to lunch or something, the server comes over and says, Hey, somebody picked up your check for you. Yeah. To being in a place where nobody knows who you are, nobody cares who you are, nobody f- wants to do any favors for you, and you start from and there's there is it really does um there I don't know if there's any other way to deconstruct your ego, right? Than to have everything taken away. No, I I don't I don't know either. You know, uh, and and it's funny, you know, John John's like. He was there the whole time and told me it was going to be hard from his own personal experience. <laughs> but, you know, I, I was, it's like the stages of grief, right? Like mm-hmm. I was just angry too, because when you, when you, you know, I've really exercised trying to treat people the same and return texts again, no matter if you have something to offer. And so when I was in Winston and people wouldn't return my texts, I got so angry, right? Like, like, do you know who I am? Right. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't value who I am just as a man, I need to show you what I've done. Right. Like you better respect me. Right. By texting me back in a timely manner. Right. <laughs> and I really, I really struggle with that. Right. Like uh, dealing with the anger of mm-hmm. feeling disrespected by people that didn't know. Right. Yep. And it probably wasn't intentional. <laughs> but 
but it probably shaped how you respond to people now. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, all good, right? Through it, it really is all good if you can get through that. Yeah. Um, in a way that's healthy. So let's not get too in the weeds on what happened next, but you had multiple business ventures and opportunities yeah. fall through. Yeah, multiple. Like six. you'd have things that were like, oh, this is the next thing on the horizon. This is going to be the next subculture. This is going to be my next big thing. And just again and again and again fell through, often because other people were incompetent or didn't do what they yeah. said they would do. Well, I, you know, I, I, being at the stage I am, I, I, I didn't want to do the, a solo lift, right? If I could have a partner, I wanted to have a, a partner again. Um, and, but yeah, for some reason, it was like six major things in three years just didn't work out. Um, and so about a year and a half into it, I started looking at, well, maybe I could just buy an existing business, right? Maybe why do I have to create a whole concept um, from scratch, you know? And I never thought about that before. Prior to that, in those few years, three years, how many hours do you think you spent on LinkedIn or Indeed or, yeah, or, yeah. or wrestling with, I just need to go get a real job? Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, and I was way too embarrassed. I didn't even tell my wife a lot of times that I was looking at other jobs because, the, you know, the, the idea is, you know, you really want to maintain that public image of a fearless leader, right? There's a lot of people, they put that expectation on me when I was leaving. We, whatever you do, you're going to crush it. And I'm like, how do you know that? Inside, that's what, like, but every, I felt like everyone was saying that, that I had this standard that I had to meet, even with my wife, right? Like, you got to crush it. And um, so I, I didn't tell anyone, but I would, I spent almost every day, had the auto notifications from Indeed, like, should I just work for someone else? Like, again, which wouldn't have been the end of the world, right? No, like right. you didn't take that step. But as we were talking about on our hike today, you know, maybe for a season, you do take that step just to get some stability. And but we also know that when you get that, you become less hungry. And you're less uh, motivated to go out and take a risk. Right? Yeah. So you started looking at maybe a purchase a business that's already existing. And that's kind of how we ended up sitting here at this restaurant. Yeah. I mean, I, I had, I had another business that I was, we went to Quebec for Christmas this past Christmas. And there was a, another opportunity that I was, I was going to open up another coffee shop at. And uh, literally while we're on our trip to Quebec, I get a text that that's not going to happen. And so I, I'm just floored, right? Like, Oh, something else. Right. <laughs> Um, but as I said, we, I've been going through looking for businesses for sale and two days after we got home, I got a response from a broker saying, Hey, I saw you inquire about this business. I had totally forgotten. I had done that, um, a couple weeks before. And, uh, if you've ever tried doing that, it's pretty veiled in the front end because they don't want people to know that it's for sale. So you have to go through the process of signing NDAs and stuff. So I did that and, uh, drove out here. January 5th of this year. And, the, you know, the, the broker had said a German restaurant. And I was like, Ugh. like, I don't, I was, I was envisioning what John said, like all the stereotypical decor and leader hosen. Yeah. Menus. And like, I was like, man, that's, it, it was crushing it right on paper, yep. but 
drove out here and it's just not this is where i'll insert some pictures and video of the restaurant that we're sitting in right now but it's uh, a beautiful place it is two-story ten thousand square feet under roof plus a beer garden and ivy and just gorgeous outdoor area and it's uh awesome yeah an incredible baked good I'm, I'm i love baked goods and their baked goods are just amazing it, it originally started as a bakery and then she added a coffee bar and then the restaurant. Yep. So just kind of added on. But yeah, visited. And then that day I called my wife and I was like, this is it, right? I think this is it. Uh, I think I could do something with this place, right? It's been around for a while, but I can elevate it. It has, it has the bone, all the bones that I, that I need, yep. right? And, uh, but it's, it was very expensive. And I was like, there's no way I'll qualify financially. There's not a chance. Um, but I, I, everything has a solution, right? And there are some people I knew that had money. So I was like, well, I can get a partner um, if I need to. They can, they can be the money partner. And so started the process. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. So you started the process. That was a roller coaster of getting uh, things cleared and approved and uh, due diligence and all of those things. And you really risked everything on this place. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it's, if every, everything. Everything, there's no safety net. No. And um, we've been here for a few weeks now. Two weeks. Two weeks. And it sounds like uh, you got a great team. It sounds like you already have a great relationship with them. They, they're um, shockingly probably excited. And um, the previous owner had been here for how many years? 25. Yeah, 25 years. So if you're in Durham, North Carolina, stop by Google Huff. Google Huff. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm here this weekend because... Sean said, as I, as I said at the beginning, you know, I really want to celebrate this with the people that I care about, people that helped me get here. And so Sean, there's like over 20 of us, his family's here. He rented an Airbnb for his parent, his dad and his sisters, uh, a whole, whole group of people. And I just, um, I just want to cheers to you for, for doing that. Get your, there we go. It's empty. That's why he didn't want to. It's bad yeah. luck to cheers from an empty glass. <laughs> but uh, I don't know a lot of people that celebrate their wins with their friends. You know, you may go out to dinner and say, hey, everybody, I just got this promotion, but not like, hey, everybody, I'm going to buy everybody dinner tonight because you helped me get to where I'm at right now. And that's the reality of it, right? Like we all help each other. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I, I'm, I'm excited. I, you know, I think. That's a that's the one thing of, of the journey. If you have if you have any awareness, you should realize that sure you you may have executed, but there are numerous spots along the way that would be non-starters, right? If I didn't have a lot of the people that'll be here uh, this weekend, there's I wouldn't be here. Um, whether it's emotionally or financially, um, or whatever it's it's a it's, it's pretty important and I, and I think we we save it for retirements we save it for when people die um we save it if for maybe if a city does it but this felt because everything is on the line but i'm so excited about it um 
this felt like. Um, yeah, that was, uh, it was definitely appropriate. Well, we're grateful, not just because I get to spend a weekend. I, I've never had a friend own a restaurant before. And I don't know if you can tell by looking at my physique, but I love food. But I think it probably felt like if this isn't worth doing it, what is, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, for, for any of you that are out there and maybe you're in a season of like the wilderness, um, man, stay the course, right? Fear is part of it. Um, you might get down on yourself. Uh, you may not see very clearly your why might get real tested. Um, but you only need a remnant to get through it, right? I think that's a really important part is you don't need the multitudes. You don't need a thousand people at tacos and hip hop. You need like a couple good people in your life that can make all the difference. And, uh, and you just never know, right? What opportunities lie ahead. And uh, so I just encourage you to, to stay the course. And as you talked with me uh, about today on our hike, it's not like the fear ever went away. Right, right. And it's not like you just had this, you know, naive, bold courage. Right. But you just need to have 1% more courage than you have fear. Yeah. You have 51% courage, 49% fear, then you'll take the next step, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, man, I just can't imagine how rewarding it must feel right now. Yeah. It's, it's been a really fun two weeks. Awesome. So, well, uh, maybe we'll recap this a year from now. Yeah, right. And yeah. Hopefully it's good. Hopefully it's up and to the right. And uh, we just come to celebrate again. We're headed to a Durham Bulls game tonight. Uh, looking forward to that. Um, well, Sean, uh, thank you for being my guest today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the Known Experience podcast. And uh, thank you for making yourself known to us and for valuing that and creating a safe place for us to feel known as your friends and for being curious about our lives and wanting to know us and that uh, for someone else to desire to know you, even the not great parts of you is, is pretty unusual and rare today. And it's, that's where people feel loved. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, I hope this week you, Will continue to feel known in your old in your own life. Um, we'll feel uh, re-energized and um, ready for whatever life may bring. So for John, thanks again for listening to the Known Experience. Until next time, we'll see you.